0: This morning, to open the Word of God together and to look intently at what I've entitled this message, the futile attempt at the tempting of Jesus Christ. I want to begin our time with the word of prayer this morning. Father, thank You again for allowing us to be together. Thank You for providentially and through Your orchestration of all things bringing us here on this day, at this time, in this passage, what a great opportunity it is for us to see your character on display, to learn from you, and to be able to live in such a way that you would be exalted and that others might see our Savior in us. So use these things for your glory and our good, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read for us beginning in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 down through verse 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they ended, he became hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, because it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, He departed from him until an opportune time. Luke begins chapter 4 in this initial accounting of the active ministry of Jesus Christ in the region of Galilee. It is introduced to us here through this attempt at tempting The Lord Jesus Christ, it is very clear, it is very straightforward by way in which Luke gives it to us here in chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2 clearly say, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. The main point of that entire sentence is that Jesus returned and was tempted. That is the drive, that is the emphasis, that is the main point of that one sentence. And on the surface of that one sentence, it doesn't seem to be saying much. Jesus returned and he was tempted. It isn't until we begin to fill in the details of what we already know from our previous study, from what Luke has given to us in the first three chapters, that we begin to understand all that is happening here in chapter 4, because we have to keep those truths in our own collective mind if we are to grasp what is taking place here with Jesus and draw from it exactly what we ought to be learning most essentially, we must remember who Jesus is. Essentially, from Luke chapter 1 through Luke chapter 3, we have been given a description, and it has been shown to us just who Jesus is. We have studied through the prophecy of Jesus' birth. We have heard of And we have seen the birth of the one who would come before Jesus, who would announce just exactly who he was to be to the people. He is the one who was to save his people from their sin. In the first three chapters, we have seen the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. We have seen his baptism in which he is identified in a a physical sense, with his people and their need for repentance and the forgiveness of their sins. We even heard the voice from heaven declaring just who Jesus is in chapter 3 and verse 22, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. This is the Son of God. All of this identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the The promised one who would come to earth and restore paradise lost. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is seen in full color through the first three chapters in his birth as God becomes flesh. That's what makes Luke chapter 4 so difficult for so many people. Because far too often, we forget or we simply refuse to acknowledge that while Jesus Christ is fully God, Jesus Christ is fully man. Many ask the question as they read this passage, how could God have a human mind and still be God? How can Jesus fully be man and yet still fully be God? And surely, therefore, when these temptations took place, Jesus in himself is exercising a divine mind so that he might overcome the devilish assault that is coming upon him. And maybe we're here this morning and we're asking that same question. Well, of course Jesus can overcome these temptations because Jesus is God. Jesus, and somehow in that very thinking, we believe that Jesus is exercising His divinity in extinguishing the flaming arrows of the evil one. And if we are thinking that way, I want to submit to you this morning that that is not thinking biblically. If we are here this morning thinking that Jesus is exercising in some kind of way his divinity in order to overcome the satanic onslaught against him, we are not thinking biblically because the scriptures affirm just the opposite. For example, the writer of Hebrews says of Christ that he had to be made like his brothers in all things. Hebrews 2 verse 17. He had to be made like us in all things. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying there is that Jesus did not simply look like a human. Jesus wasn't in some fashion just some phantom that had characteristics of humanity. He is saying that Jesus was made like us in all things in His humanity. That is simply to say that Christ's humanity was not some kind of sophisticated simulation. It was not some kind of fanciful way in which God wanted us to see this one called the Christ, this Messiah, and therefore he created this sophisticated simulation in which we couldn't tell otherwise. No, Jesus was fully human in every way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, clearly declares He was made in the likeness of men. And yet that statement comes with one very important caveat for us to remember. He was made in the likeness of men, yet He had no sin. Again, the Scriptures declare, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, He was tempted in every way as we are tempted yet without sin. That is not declaring the sinlessness of Jesus Christ prior to being tempted. That is declaring the sinlessness of Christ in spite of the fact that He was tempted. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. If that sentence in Hebrews 4 and verse 15 was written about us, it would say, we have been tempted in many, many ways, and very oftentimes we sin. Very oftentimes we succumb to the temptation, and yet here is Jesus, the one being tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. So, when Christ took on manhood, He willingly placed the exercise of His divine knowledge and His divine power under the full discretion of God the Father. Let me say that again. When Jesus Christ, when Christ Himself took on manhood, He willingly placed the exercise of His divine knowledge and His divine power under the discretion of God the Father. You say, where do you come up with that? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is such an important text for us to begin with. The Apostle Paul exhorting the believers in Philippi with these words, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of attitude? This one who, Jesus Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The Apostle Paul is not declaring a reality in which Jesus Christ did not, no longer was he deity, no, he was full deity, and yet he set those things aside, the independent use of those things brought under the full discretion of the Father, and He took on humanity. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So why all of that before we look at our text in Luke chapter 4? Because... What we are seeing here in Luke chapter 4 is not the exercise of the divinity of Jesus Christ as he deals with the temptation of the devil. What we are seeing here is the humanity of Jesus in full submission to the will of God the Spirit and God the Father as he faces temptations that are far more intense than anything you and I will ever face. This is Jesus Christ like us. So here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has heard the words of his Father from heaven. Remember chapter 3, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ has heard that, he knows Who he is? He is the Son of God, and yet he endures and is victorious against the attacks from Satan himself as a real human. And he finds the power to resist in the reality of submission to the will of the Father found in his word. Jesus Christ, mark this down, Jesus Christ finds the power to resist the devil by means of submission to the will of the Father found in the Word of God. Let's take that to heart this morning as we look at Jesus Christ. These are real temptations, And Jesus is a real human who is like us in all ways. And he knows just where victory against temptation lies. It lies in submission to the Word of God. This is Jesus Christ dealing with horrific temptations to sin. That's the first thing we have to remember as we approach this text. This is Jesus Christ, the real man, dealing with real temptations to sin. Secondly, all of this, notice in verses 1 and 2, all of this is directed by God the Spirit. All of this is directed by God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1, it is the Spirit who leads him about in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. This is the Spirit's work in the life of Jesus Christ. This is a dire scenario. And this dire scenario has been orchestrated and divinely orchestrated by God the Spirit. The one behind this is the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is the one tempting Jesus. God cannot tempt anyone, James tells us. But this is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Notice, remember, Jesus has just come off a high point in his life. He's only been on earth a Short 30 years, he's come off a high point in his life. He has just been baptized whereby the Spirit of God descends upon him and the Father declares just who he is. And now in the following days from that very moment, the same Holy Spirit in which Jesus is filled with, just like you and I from the birth that we have in Jesus Christ when we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us, Jesus Christ being full of the Holy Spirit is now led by Him into this desolate place for the purpose of this encounter with the evil one. One man put it this way, heaven opened at one end and hell yawned at the other. And both prepared Jesus to live victoriously. And so here is Jesus now having been led by the Spirit in this geographically located place known in ancient times as the devastation. Why is it called that? Because it's an uninhabitable wasteland part of Israel. It's located between the hill country, the fertile hill country of Israel on one side and the Dead Sea on the other. No one lives out there. It's an uninhabitable place. And yet, here is Jesus who has now been there for 40 days without food, it says in verse 2. He ate nothing during those days. And now his physical body is crying out with hunger like any of us would be, and in comes Satan himself. It's ironic, is it not? As you think about the history of redemption throughout the entire Scriptures, there was the lush Garden of Eden, full of life. God is walking with Adam in the garden, and Adam fell to sin Believing in the words of the serpent in that beautiful, lush place. And here is Jesus, the second Adam, facing the serpent that was there in the garden in this place of devastation, this barren wilderness, and in like manner, Jesus hears the voice of hell speaking. Notice what he says in temptation number one. The devil said to him, verse 3, if you are the Son of God, most likely the word therefore if is the word since. The, the devil is acknowledging the reality of who Jesus Christ is. He knows for sure who Jesus is. That's why he works so hard to have him removed from the scene. Since you are the Son of God, since you have divine power, since you are divine in yourself, then tell this stone to become bread. Now remember what we already understand Jesus Christ, while being fully God, is still fully man. He is a real human. He isn't some kind of divine phantom. He is real and he has been without food now for six weeks, 40 days. Six weeks. He's famished. His body is crying out for food. And he knows who he is. He has heard the voice of the Father. You are my beloved Son. He knows who he is. He knows that he is the Son of God. He knows he is divine. He knows he has divine power. In other words, nothing is impossible for Jesus by way of the exercise of His inherent power. In fact, Colossians tells us that it was through Him that all things have been made. Nothing has been made that wasn't by the power of Christ. Nothing is impossible to be exercised here by Jesus. Why do I say that? Simply to say that Miraculously making food to eat is not an impossibility for Jesus by way of divine ability. That's what makes this temptation so much more difficult than you and I could ever imagine. None of us have ever been tempted to do something miraculous. Oh, sure, somebody might have said to to us in some foolishness, okay, do something really spectacular, and none of us in our internal man have ever been tempted by that. Why? Because we couldn't do it anyway. It's foolishness. Nothing tempts us to do that. When we're hungry, we never think to ourselves, well, I'll just get out there and grab some stones out of the yard and turn them into little morsels so that I can eat them. That thought never tempts us. Why? Because we have no ability to do it. No one ever tempts us by saying the words that are said to Jesus here. Hey, go turn this rock into bread and feed yourself. But Jesus has that kind of power. We could He could create from nothing. And so Satan is saying to him, alright, since you're the Son of God, create from nothing. Do it. Exercise your power at, that you have. On the surface, this temptation seems to only tempt in the physical realm. He's hungry. He needs bread. needs something to eat. So on a physical sense, feed yourself. But we cannot miss, beloved, the reality that There's much more than the physical temptation going on here. There is a spiritual temptation for Jesus Christ to sin. Why? Because Christ had divinely submitted himself to the will of the Father. Christ had divinely submitted himself to the will of the Father. Remember, the Godhead is one God. And God the Spirit had led Jesus into this desolate place according to the will of the Father. The Spirit only does what the Father has said. They are in perfect communion with one another. They never contradict one another. They are one God. Father, Son, and Spirit are one God. And now, even though He is famished with hunger, the Father has not seen fit in these 40 days and yet to supply him with food. And so Satan comes along and tempts him to provide for himself. In other words, step away from the Father's will and fulfill your own will independently. Depart from the natural order, the God-ordained order, and suspend even the natural order of things just for a moment for the sake of your humanity. Do you see the essence of where the temptation really lies? The temptation is no different than he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. It's a temptation to distrust God's provision and prove that you are actually the Son of God. Adam and Eve, eat from the tree of life and prove that what God said to you, that He really wants to withhold from you something that you desperately should have. Jesus, prove that you are the Son of God. Turn this stone into bread feed your physical body, distrust God and prove that God doesn't want you to have what you actually physically need. Distrust the Father. Distrust the Father. The devil said to Adam in the first instance, has God surely said that you will die? Surely God doesn't mean what He said. Don't trust the Word of God. Don't trust the Word of God. That's the temptation from Satan. That is the temptation of every sin. Don't trust the Word of God. Don't trust what God said. Don't trust God's way. Don't trust the Word of God. And Jesus responds to that. Now remember, this is the incarnate God inhumanity, like us in every way, and He responds to us, and it's very telling for how we ought to respond. Jesus Christ, in verse 4, says to Him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Satan says don't trust the Father, don't trust God, and Jesus says here's what God says, The devil wants from Jesus what Jesus is unwilling to give him. The distrust that the devil wants from him is met perfectly in trust and submission to the divine will of the Father. He says, no, it is written, man shall not live On bread alone. In other words, the entire sum of his words is this, I will trust the Father. I will trust the Father. Jesus is turning to God's word in the moment of heinous temptation, and he is saying to the tempter, and I believe even to his own humanity, I will live by that word. I'm turning to the word of God and I will submit myself to that word from God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's where he gets this. He is recounting the history of Israel when they were hungry in the desert. Their response to God was to grumble against God. Why have you not fed us? We're, we're so hungry. We're wandering in the desert and God chooses to meet their grumblings with quail and manna and He feeds them that for 40 years. And so the lesson that Jesus learns from that passage as He grew in wisdom and stature as a young boy and as a young man was that God can provide for those who are His in extraordinary ways. And so Jesus says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone. In essence, Jesus is saying to the evil one and to himself, I will not, I refuse, even though my flesh is hungry, even though my stomach is growling with great ravaging I will not take matters into my own hands. I will not do that, even though my Father has not yet provided my physical food. I will trust Him by trusting His word. Satan came along and he spoke the facts since you are the Son of God, that was true. Make this bread for yourself. Then you can eat. Jesus could do that. He had the power. He was divine, fully God. And yet here is the incarnate God created just like us and says, but the Bible says. Go ahead and do this. And Jesus says, but the Bible says actually no different for us to be victorious in the temptations that we face each and every day. We may not be tempted like Jesus is being tempted here to turn stones into bread and thereby prove who we are by some kind of sense of foolish identity. The impossible doesn't tempt us. But how often beloved, how often are we tempted by the physical things of this life And rather than trusting God, rather than submitting to the words of God, we succumb to the temptation and forego our submitting to His word. What we do is we scheme and we plan for our well-being. We orchestrate life in such a way under the economy in which God has has us even here today, which tempts us at every level, and we scheme and we plan for our well-being, assuming, assuming, although we wouldn't say it this way, we assume that God doesn't care about us, or He just doesn't know. The circumstances of my life are outside the realm of God's knowledge. He just doesn't know, and in doing that, what am I doing? I am refusing thereby then to submit and to live by the Word of God and in doing so, I'm refusing to walk by the Spirit of God. Jesus quotes just part of that verse, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 is what he's quoting. It says this man shall not but live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Satan said, Distrust God's provision for you. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I will trust the word of God. The word of God provides for me more than anything this world or this life has to offer. In fact, everything that this world gives me by way of physical sustaining all comes from the hand of God. And so I will trust the word of God. Distrust the provision of God? No, no, I will trust The word of God. That's temptation number one. Temptation number two. And he, that is Satan, led him up, verse 5, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, because it's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, It shall be yours. So here we are after Jesus affirms God's Word as His trust. Satan then turns the heat up. Uses another tactic. He presents Jesus with a quick way to gain global popularity and acceptance. Satan says, in essence, to him, listen, the nations of the world are mine. I rule them all, and I rule all that is in them. And I can have them turn to you. I can have them honor you. I can deliver to you the nations of the world. In other words, win the world over without any pain. Win the honor of the world, win a global popularity with the world without going down the difficult road. You won't have to go there. No need to go to the cross. I can deliver all of the nations of the world to you with ease. You sit here and you say, could it, Satan actually do that? I mean, was he being truthful here? Could he actually do that? Was this a true temptation? Was this Satan's to control and to offer? He said, it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Verse 6. Is that true? Well, Satan may have limited sovereignty, but he is telling the truth. In fact, Jesus in his ministry will declare, as it's recorded for us in John's gospel, Satan is the ruler of this world. John 12 verse 31, John 14 verse 30, John 16:11. 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Ephesians 2, he is called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2 and the god of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So this was a true statement. And it would have been a powerful temptation. Why? Because all Jesus would have to do is to acknowledge and honor the authority and the sovereignty of Satan on earth. All you have to do is honor me, and it'll be yours. Bow down to me, and it will be yours. In other words, if you honor me, you will receive maximum honor for yourself. Now here's the essence of the temptation. Take the easy way to being king. Take the easy road. Go down the path that has no potholes. Take the easy way to be a king. Exercise once again. Exercise your independence. Live separate from the known will of God. Use the shortcut, Jesus. Instant glory. This is what Satan is saying. Instant glory, it's so much better than the hard, long, painful way of the cross of glory. Satan first tempted Jesus and said, distrust the provision of God. Now he's saying, distrust the process. Distrust the process. Distrust God's process for your glory. So here's the temptation. God God has given me all of these kingdoms, Jesus, and I'm willing to give them all to you if you'll just place yourself under me. I will make you the Messiah King just as God wants you to be But instead of doing it the hard, painful way, we'll do it the easy way. You see, Jesus, God's process is hard. It's painful. It's a struggle. Mine's easy. Mine's pleasant. No struggle. But we know, right, it's all a lie. Satan doesn't worship God the Father. He doesn't worship the one who allows him to have this domain. He is a rebel against God. He's an enemy of God, in fact. And so if Jesus follows him, then he too becomes a rebel against God. So instead of becoming king, as promised here by Satan himself, Jesus simply just becomes a slave of Satan. This is the same way, beloved, temptation is offered to us today. Take this path, it's easy. Don't go that way. Don't go what God says that's hard, difficult, strenuous. Adam and Eve in the garden, take the easy way. They believe the facade of supposed wisdom rather than God's way to real wisdom. Judas was bought by 30 pieces of silver, the easy way, and it cost him his very soul. But any wonder, beloved, that Satan himself thought that Jesus the man would be tempted by such an offer? The glory of this is that Jesus doesn't fall for it. Verse 8, Jesus answers and says to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Once again, much to our great joy, Jesus answers with the Word of God. Once again, Jesus combats the temptation by saying both to His own heart and to Satan himself, but the Bible says, here's what the temptation is saying, But the Bible says this, listen, beloved, by now we ought to know, by now we ought to understand that the written word of God is the one and only shield and offensive weapon that we have for standing against the flaming darts of the evil one. It's the only thing. The Spirit leads us in that truth. It's interesting the original word here in verse 7 translated in New American Standard is worship the original word is often translated fear maybe some of your translations have that fear me fear me The Bible says you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him only So as Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. When we fear the Lord, we will faithfully serve the Lord. Fear is reverence. Reverence produces in the submissive, humble heart service to the one whom is reverenced. To serve God is to worship God. It's to honor God. It's to esteem God as one who is to be worshipped. He is worthy of worship. And so this is, the, this is the essence of the temptation in which the evil one brings. Satan is tempting Jesus to sin against God by going against the very first commandment that God gives to man. You shall love the Lord your God and serve Him only. And so Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, as He submits Himself to the Word of God, speaks God's Word as He lives out God's Word. And so He is victorious over Satan's temptation here as a real man, living under the direction and leading of God the Spirit, He's victorious by submission to the Word of God. Now think about that. We have a high priest, beloved. Jesus Christ is our high priest. We have a high priest, the writer of Hebrews says, who can sympathize with our difficulties. How many of us have said in our Christian life, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. When we say that, beloved, we are convincing ourselves that by the power of the Spirit we have no ability to overcome whatever it is that is plaguing us in the moment. And what we are doing is we are redefining the God of the Scriptures and saying that He is weak and impotent to overcome sin. Simply because I won't do it, not because I can't do it. We have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, who can sympathize with our difficulties because he has been tempted yet without sin. He submits himself to the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God. Satan says, distrust the provision of your Father. Go ahead, exercise the independent use of your divine reality. Jesus says, no, I will trust God's will and word. Satan says, distrust the plan of God. We can make it easy. You can become exactly what God wants you to become, but there's another road to that end. Jesus says, no, I will trust the way of God and the Word of God. Temptation number three. He led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, verse 9, and said to him, Since you are the Son of God, throw yourselves down from here. Throw yourself down from here. Why? Because the Bible says... He will give His angels charge concerning to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Ah, Satan is so clever. So clever. Jesus has stood against His first two onslaughts. And He stood on the Word of God powered by the Spirit of God and He finds victory. So what does Satan do? Oh, you want to quote the Scriptures to me? Let me quote the Scriptures to you. If you so trust in the Word of God, then obey this part of the Word of God. In essence, since you are faithful to God's Word, then God will protect you just as Psalm 91 says. Now you know why I read that psalm this morning. You're a man of faith, aren't you? You're a man of faith. You trust God, then jump off this and prove to the whole world just where your faith lies. What's the temptation? Temptation is simply this, distrust the Word of God because there are apparent contradictions in the Word of God. Distrust the word of God because there are apparent contradictions. What apparent contradiction? Well, the setting of one scripture against scripture in some other place. In other words, take one passage and make it say what you want it to say in one place and make it seem as if the Bible contradicts itself in another passage. That ever happened? That ever happened in your life, in your hearing? Happens all the time. People say this all the time. Listen, just step out in faith. Just step out in faith. God will take care of you. Is that true? Yes. Yes. We have faith in God. God promises to care for us. God said, they say, He will supply for your needs. Don't bother yourself with working. God will supply. Just trust God. He will supply. He promised that. That's true. God did promise that He will supply our every need, that He will care for His children. And yet, the means for that care is accomplished through a myriad of ways by God's sovereign hand. And One of them, and the primary one of them, is for faithful work to happen on your behalf. You work. The Bible declares if you won't work, you won't eat. Jesus isn't so easily duped by what Satan says. Why? Because rather than place Scripture against Scripture, Jesus puts one passage beside the other so that it might shine light on the other. In other words, Jesus knows that all of the promises given to us by the Father are meant for our humble trust in the Father and not for our self serving presumption. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ, even in his hearing of the devil quoting Scripture, knows that all of the promises given to us by God the Father are given to us for our humble trust in the Father and not for our self-serving presumption. So, it is the height of arrogant foolishness to take a promise of God and challenge God to see if He will, in fact, do what He says. It's arrogant foolishness to take a promise of God and say, okay, God, you promised this, let me see you do it. So, here we have before us in principled fashion the great truth about Scripture. And that is that Scripture explains Scripture. Scripture explains Scripture. God is not contrary, He is not contradictory. And therefore we can and we must trust the Word of God and never ever put God to the test that only ends in false trust. We cannot do that. Jesus says you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We cannot put the Lord God, to the test. And so here is Satan. Distrust the provision of the Father. Jesus says, no, I will trust the Word of God by submitting to His Word. Well, distrust the plan of the Father then. He's going to make you the Messiah. I can do that too. You will have worldwide popularity. No, no. I will trust the word of God and the plan of God. Well, then Jesus distrusts the promise of God. Distrust his promise. Jesus says, no. I will not put God to the test in what he has promised for us. Jesus wins. He teaches us how to win. Submit to the will through submitting to the Word. Submit to the will of God through submitting to the Spirit of God. Submit to the will of God through knowing the Word of God and doing it. Beloved, we cannot live by every word that comes forth from the man Or from the mouth of the Lord if we do not know every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And we will not follow the Spirit of the Lord if we do not know the Word of the Lord because the Spirit only leads according to the Word of the Lord. Because the Word of the Lord is the will of the Lord. This is what Jesus does. Jesus shows us right at the beginning of His ministry that we can have victory over the temptations of life if we will just follow Him. Go back to the Word of God and trust in what God has said and do it. Satan's not done. This is just a temporary moment in his history. Because he departs just to reload till another opportune time. That time comes in a few years when Jesus is in the garden. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for our Savior Jesus Christ. Those words seem even from our lips so shallow. Lord, we we have been given everything we need for life and for godliness. Your word is enough. It is our nourishment, it is our joy, it is our anchor, it is our weaponry it is our shield it is our sword everything we need to carry us through we don't need to know all the wiles of the evil one and how his world system even attempts to cause us to blaspheme your name all we need to know is your word So, lord give us the desire may we long for the pure milk of your word that we might do it. Cause us to be strengthened in that. May we submit ourselves to the Spirit, trusting, walking by faith, so that in every area of our life, regardless of how difficult it may be, we just trust you. And allow us as your people to minister to one another in difficult times, to come alongside, to encourage the faith of each one, that they too might find victory. We thank you for the sufficient word. Use it in us, we pray. All to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.